Let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we come before you to this place, Father, that you've gathered us. You are God and you are supreme in everything that you do. You are perfect. You know us by name. You know every part of our life. And you have brought us here because you've ordained before we were even born that when we gather together in your name that you will be there. And we come before you, Father, this morning believing and having faith and trust that your presence is here in the midst of us because you said that and you're not a liar. We come believing, Father, that you will speak to us this morning. We come to eat from your word, from your truths, and we come empty, Lord God, not holding anything but rather that we may be filled by you. We empty ourselves, Lord God, this morning, trusting that you would speak to us because you are the living God. We ask you to cast every doubt, every confusion, every distraction this morning from our life, Father, that we can focus our heart and mind on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, welcome. If you're here for the first time, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to share with you, and I've been tossing up... Uh, the idea for a while now, maybe a few weeks, I'm going to look at the book of Daniel with you, if you don't mind, the book of Daniel. So we're going to look at this book, I'm not going to go through it as a commentary, like, you know, chapter by chapter, however, I will touch on and pinpoint certain themes, maybe certain subjects, certain events in the book of Daniel. Hopefully you kind of listen to God's voice in such a way that you're challenged, until you take the challenge then you find the joy. So if you listen to God's Word, because it's there for our refining, the Bible says that God's Word is a two-edged sword. And the reason why it's a two-edged sword is that when it goes out, it actually should cut. It has to cut. And cutting is good, because when you cut something, um, there's a, a process that's going to start, and that process is called healing. You can't keep germs or poison inside the fold of a skin. You need to cut that skin so that germ can come out. And so that's what the Word of God does. It speaks to our lives, it cuts. That cutting of God is very, very good. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice that we, we, we cut the fat from the lamb and, and offer that as a sacrifice. Uh, the good meat, the good stuff. And that's what we do this morning. So I want to um, open up God's Word to Daniel chapter 1. And let's look at this chapter together. Daniel chapter 1. We'll go through it. <clears throat> and honestly, I don't know where I will stop, okay? So I don't know whether we're going to just finish all of chapter 1 this morning or whether we stop in the first few verses or whether we stop halfway. So if I don't finish this morning, we will continue. Got it? Yes? You happy with that? All right, because I'm just going to go with it, uh, through it with you. Chapter uh, 1, Daniel, first verse. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Uh, there was a king by the name of Jehoiakim, um, king of Judah. Um, he wasn't a good king. He was actually a bad king. He did everything evil in the sight of the Lord. And what we learn from this chapter, just so that you know a bit of a background, is what we learn from this chapter is that anyone or anything at any time lives their life in such a way that is contrary to the way of God. There's always consequences. And what we learn from this chapter, or the theme that we're going to cover, is this theme called compromise. Because compromise is pretty much evident in today's world, in today's society, and so much so even in churches, even in Christians. 
And it's sad, really, because compromise is probably the very thing that you don't want or not allow as a Christian, because it's pointless, it becomes vain. Because the Christian life is a straight and narrow road. That's, that's just that's how it is. To follow Christ is straight and narrow. You got it? And if you decide to follow Christ with compromises, you may as well not have followed, because it doesn't work. It's like someone trying to get into a little crack in a wall, and everyone's saying how good it is to get into this crack in the wall, um, but only the fit fit, you know, only those who can kind of get in, get in, and we all want to get in, we all say, let's all get in, but we try to push ourselves in with our luggage, our bag, you know, but we really want to get in, like, because we're here, it's such good stuff, you know, like it's eternal life, it's a place of peace, and we all carry a luggage, and we can't get in, and so the compromise of just fitting in as you are is challenged by the things that you, you hold, you, you want to get in, okay, so you can't, it, it's impossible, and that's what we're going to learn with Daniel, this king, Jehoiakim, he basically uh, was an evil king, and because he was evil in the sight of the Lord, we read, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Anytime you, 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 you kind of part from the Lord, you're literally out on your own, you're, you're left, because God is the God of goodness, you know, he's, he's, he's the place of peace, and anytime you step outside of that place, all you're left with is chaos, destruction. Maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in a week, but sooner or later, your experience is going to become devastating. There's a story about a hunter and a bear. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but the, there's the, the hunter with the gun and there's the bear staring at him and the hunter's ready to shoot and the bear says to the hunter, what are you doing? And the hunter says, I'm about to shoot you. He goes, what do you want to shoot me for? And the hunter says, because I'm cold. I'm cold. And the bear growls and says, but I'm hungry. Maybe we can compromise. And you know the story. I don't know if you do know the story, but the way it goes is that the, basically the hunter got warm in the belly of the bear, covered by his fur, and the bear satisfied his hunger. And generally, compromise is like that. Let's compromise. Let's, 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 let, and the bear was happy to compromise, but it cost the hunter's life. And so what we see here is that this king who decided he wanted to part ways ended up finding himself in a place where he should not have been. And the Lord himself, because he's a God who's good and kind, he lets things unfold, it unravels. And he himself gave the king of Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what happens in verse 2. It says this, With some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So this is very, very fascinating. So what happened was this. Uh, Babylonia, which is another word for Shinar, which is a a Babylon, a place of evil, uh, a, a place away from the things of God, not only was the king of Judah taken by Nebuchadnezzar, but also the articles of God, the precious sacred things that belonged to the house of God, what they did is they took them, some of them, parts of them, and put them into the house of the false gods. Babylonian worship, the temple. And they had the things of God that were holy and sacred 
in this place. Which is a very interesting thought, because there's two ways you can compromise, and there's two ways that are often compromised. One way is when you take the things that belong in the temple of Babylon, and you put them in the house of God. That's a compromise. Or, alternatively, you take the things that belong to God, and you put them in the house of Babylon. And it's fascinating, right? Because the two don't mix. They can't mix. But what we find in the world today, in society, it's exactly the same thing. And you need to be very, very careful how it's done. You will find philosophies and ideas in the world that have taken from the Bible or biblical principles and they're placed into the temple of false gods. And this is not a good place. And if you're not discerning and if you're not watching carefully, it can lead to destruction. Like, for example, you can take a, a, a counselling session that, that, is, that is embedded in humanism, that is based on self, and it's all about um, good, healthy relationships. And what you do is you take biblical principles of communication. You know, you take, you, you take spiritual truths from the Bible like uh, patience and, 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 and kindness and, 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 and good, effective communication, and you take it and you put it into a humanistic counselling session. And you expect people to do well and good. And that's a compromise. It doesn't work. Because what you do is you take parts of the Bible that you want as long as Jesus stays outside. I like what Jesus has to say. Because I think it's fantastic what he says. And I'll take what Jesus has to say and I'll put it into my temple and I'll receive it. But just don't give me Jesus. Because once you give me Jesus, it becomes a whole different ball game. Because the demands of Christ and the call of Christ is not just pretty, nice, love, kindness, grace, which is what the world gladly embraces, and they'd worship that, provided we don't touch Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus is quite fanatical, man. Like, he's a bit too much. Like, when Jesus called me, he said to leave everything and to fully trust him. That's crazy. I find it hard to trust. When Jesus says, come and follow me, he says, leave everything, leave it behind and come. That's difficult for me because I've lived a life so long dependent on very certain things that appeal to my eyes, that appeal to my touch, appeal to my senses. And now Jesus Christ is telling me to leave everything and come with pure trust. And I look at that and I say, I don't want to do that. And so what I do is I take my bags with me and I know everything but Jesus, but I don't find satisfaction. I don't find what I should be looking for because the things that I'm looking for aren't based on theological standing and understanding. They're based in Jesus. You can't take the teachings of Christ and not take Christ. I can't follow Jesus if Jesus doesn't come and dwell in me. I could know about him. I could know everything. But if I don't have him dwelling in me, I don't find the power to fulfill or to do what he asks me to do. I need him to take a reign and control of my life. And when I don't do that, it's a compromise. I could take parts, but not the whole, and it's a compromise. So what we see here is that's what exactly they did. They, took, they wanted to destroy the things of God. They took parts of the things of God and they put it into the temple of a false god. And we start seeing a society that is compromising where Christianity or faith or the laws and truths of God are being compromised. 
It's, it's a, it's a wishy-washy and off-balance thing happening here. 606 BC, before Jesus came. Life hasn't changed. It's much the same today. And what we see in this book is valuable truths that today is more real than it's ever been. So this is the situation that we're in. Verse 3, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Listen carefully to the scriptures. It's saying this, that once Judah was being taken over and they took parts of the things of God and put them into their temple, it wasn't enough for them. What they did is they went and they looked for the nobles, royalty, the heads, the, 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 the most powerful men among the, 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 the Jews. That's exactly what happens when you want to attack something and you hit something, you want to go for the head. That's exactly what they did. But not only did they go for the head, what they chose is Ashpenaz. Who's Ashpenaz? Ashpenaz was a eunuch. What's a eunuch? A eunuch is someone who's totally, totally sold out for the king. He's castrated himself for the service of the king. There is no other commitment in his life, no relationship, no marriages, no other service than the king. So when they assign a job against the things of God, they choose the best. Because the devil wouldn't have it any other way. There's no compromise in the devil, did you know? When the devil's after your soul, he's not compromising it. He gives his best, did you know? He's not... Uh, the Bible says that he doesn't release his captives. Once he's grabbed them, they're bound. You don't find an opening or an escape with the enemy. He's like an Ashpenaz. He's totally sold out for the service of the king because they know how to win a battle when the battle needs to be won. Christians have to do the same if you want to win. Did you know that uh, 99% isn't good enough in the Christian faith? Did you know? 99% is not good enough in the Christian faith. To follow Jesus, 99% doesn't cut it for you and it won't help you. Did you know? When you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, do you look at it and you see him bloody, torn, broken, carrying the cross to Calvary, do you look at that and go, that's a bit half-hearted? That's, that's, could have done better than that. Is that what you see? Do you see 99%? You know, it's funny, as Christian faith, when we talk about 99% and we say, you know, you just, Christianity is 100%, it's all in, it's all in, we all kind of shrink back and we say, oh man, 99%, come on, man, we can't be perfect, right? 99%. But hey, try 99% in, in the medical field. 99%. Do you know how many babies are dropped? A year, twenty-two thousand, because they're not, not because you know it's not one hundred percent. And if we were to look at them and say, "Hey, you know, ninety-nine percent is okay," twenty-two thousand babies would be dropped by doctors and nurses. And all of a sudden, ninety-nine percent isn't great, is it? And if you look at all the things in life, and we say ninety-nine percent driving, because you you know. 99% of people don't look at their phones, but that 1% of people, they look at their phones and text and drive at the same time. And we have so much accidents. 
And so 99% all of a sudden becomes, no, no, man, we need 100% here, right? It's not good enough. But when it comes to the Christian faith, we accept gladly 99% is okay. But it's not. If 99% was okay, Jesus would not have carried a cross. If 99% was okay, Jesus would have basically just died of old age, you know? If 99% was okay, Jesus didn't have to bleed. He could have just been shot, right? If 99% was okay. But it wasn't. Christ demanded love and demanded trust that he gave 100%, his only begotten son. That's why the Christian faith follows through with this kind of faith, the faith of Christ. We give God 100%, 100%. That means any area of your life, anything that you hold dear, you think in your mind that you're going to get it, it's going to work for you. You think it's going to be okay. But if it's not 100%, I'm telling you, there's a way that seems right for man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so the good news is this. Listen, the good news is this. Give God 100% and it will go well with you. Give God 100% and everything will be good. Guaranteed. 100%. But give God 99% and you wonder why my life is the way it is. You wonder why you flip-flop. Why you can't seem seem to be steady. Because there's 1% that though it's not 99%, it takes a stronghold on your life that is stronger and harder than the 99. It could be 1%, but it's the most powerful thing that binds you and holds you from fully trusting God. Look at this guy here, Ashpenes, a eunuch com- completely committed to the king. So this is what his job was. He was to go and look among the Jews and find quality people that, among their leaders, among the nobles. Verse 4, you need to find young men, verse 4, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. This is who he was meant to look out for among the Jewish people. They've got to be young. They've got to be without blemish, meaning that they can't have a deformity or some disability. Nothing. They've got to be good-looking. They've got to be attractive. They've got to be gifted in all wisdom. They've got to be smart, intelligent. And not only that, but they have to be able to learn. You know, it's not a matter of just being intelligent, but it's a a matter of being able to discern, to analyze, to be able to receive. This is the kind of men he went to look for among God's people. They're God's people. And they're nobles, meaning that they had a place of, of honor among their people. Which is quite fascinating, really, when you think about it, because I'll tell you why it's fascinating. The principles of God, the truths of God, the laws of God are good. Listen, they're good. If you stay close to his truths and close to God, they will keep you wise. They will keep you smart. You will become the greatest scientist, believe it or not. Do you know that? You know how you will become the greatest scientist? Because when you follow God's truth 
And God says certain things that are scientific in nature, but you believe them to be true. While everybody else says it's a lie, for example, creationism, you become the smartest scientist because you actually know the truth when all the science in the world is saying contrary. He makes you smart. He makes you intelligent. He makes you wise. But not only that, He gives you wholesomeness in your soul because when He guards your soul and guards your heart by giving you principles, don't do this. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't get high and drunk because these things destroy your soul. And when you follow those principles, you discover, yeah, they are healing to me. His words are eternal life. They are bread for my body. And it keeps you from stress. It keeps you from darkness. It keeps you from depression. It keeps you from emptiness and loneliness. It keeps you whole. And that's what they were looking for among God's people. The world couldn't have... Why, why, did, why didn't Nebuchadnezzar look among his own people for such character? Why couldn't his kingdom and the way he ruled it raise up men and women like this? Why did he have to go to God's people? Because God's people hold the truth that keeps them safe. They go in and out of pasture and they're forever fed. God's people are healthy, wholesome people. It's not that we're discriminating against people who aren't God's people. It's because we know the truth and the truth is set us free. God's people are people that basically when you look at them, they radiate like light, like the Father is light. You look at them and you say, man, why are you so joyous? Why is there something about you that's different than in the world? It's not because I'm special. It's because I follow the principles of a living God. He's not just an idea. He's not just an imaginary friend. He's real. He's real. And if I follow him, I'm certain I will find what life is about. You'll see it start in my soul. It'll come across my face. And I radiate the glory of God. And that's what they lack, these Babylonians, unbelievers, false gods. They, they believed in a god called Martuk, something like that. Couldn't give them the quality of life that only the living God, the God of Judah, could give them. As we go on to verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Three years of providence and privilege was given to these men. These men, nobles, royalty. Three years the king provided the finest wine, the finest food. Mate, this sounds awesome. Three years. It's almost, almost like uh, three years of university. You know, three years, when if you do this course and you, you, you get established, then you're all set for life. Three years, that's what they had. They had their university that was provided for. The, the, listen, they weren't given the delicacies of the people. They were given what the king was given. The honor, the privilege, these four great minds. How, how awesome, yeah? Who, who, who would reject that? Live with the king, live the life, the best of food, the wine. Mate. Verse 6, now from among those of the sons of Judah are these four young men, Daniel, Hananiah, 
Michelle and Azariah, four men. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. Now look what they did. They got these four, da- four men and they, they, they changed their names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. He, they changed their names, which is quite fascinating because when you, when you look carefully at their names, it means this. Daniel means God is my judge. That's his name. Very significant. But what they changed Daniel's name was Prince of Bel. Bel was the god, the false god who was to protect the king. He was the chief god. Hananiah, his name was Jah has favored. God has favored him. But they changed his name to Aku. Sorry, not Yeah, command of Aku. A command of Aku, which is also the Babylonian god of the moon. Michelle means who is what God is. This, this, this per- who is what God is. And they changed his name to who is what Aku is. The false god. <laughs> so they went from, 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 from the names that God was glorified by to the names that the world or the Babylonians received. And then you've got uh, Azariah, which means God has protected. Jah has protected. And they changed his name, the servant of Nebo. Nebo was also known as Nebu. He was the son of their chief god. Extraordinary. Compromise, yeah? They take your name. They take your title. So much, so much part of your reputation, your name. But I tell you the truth, listen. It doesn't matter what anyone calls you. Call yourself whatever you want. Call yourself a doctor. Call yourself a professor. Call yourself whatever you want, but you can't change the person. It's the person that matters. You can call yourself a Christian. It doesn't mean anything. You can call yourself Muslim. It doesn't mean anything. It's the person. It's the person who lives with the integrity and the righteousness of Christ. That person. Call me what you want. Names don't hurt me. But living, living or not living costs me. And so this is the compromise that's happening among these four nobles. This small compromise, they start off with the name. But in verse 8, we see the true spirit and character of these four men. But Daniel purposed in his heart, listen, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Two things here, very simple, two things. One, he purposed it in his heart. He purposed it in his heart. He was resolute, this was it, and he didn't want to be defiled. What do you mean, Daniel, man? This is the life. You know, you know what people would give for this? I love that phrase. You know what people would give for this? I love that phrase. Because I reckon a lot of Christians don't feel or haven't experienced the impact of, do you know what people would give for this? Because I wonder whether the devil was able to give in this church 
everything that people would give their life for. And how many of you would sit down and say, like Daniel, I'm not touching that. That's not going to come close to my lips. Those things don't belong to me. I don't care whether they belong to the king or whatever. Nah. And I purpose in my heart not to do anything than my God wants. I've said, I've said it straight in my heart that this is the way I'm going. Though none come with me, still I will follow. I've said it on my heart that nothing's going to stain me. Nothing's going to touch me. Nothing's going to, to, to defile me. I don't care what it is. And if you were to imagine the delicacies of the king, I'm telling you now, it would be the most amazing, visual, appetizing thing you've ever seen. But Daniel said, no, 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 I'm not touching it. But this caused concerns. In verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Now, this is what's fascinating about this, and this is what I want you to understand about this chapter, please. Listen. Most of us don't realise our compromises come from the fact that we are trying to better or at least be a little bit more comfortable in our life. That's where our compromise comes from. We're, we're trying to survive, and we're trying to do the best that we can to survive. And that's where we start to compromise. But we don't realise that your comfort and your security doesn't come from your compromises. They come from God. They come from God. In this verse we read, Now God had brought Daniel into favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. It was God that brought Daniel goodwill and good favour. God did it. And so Daniel, in his own heart, in his mind, he didn't want to defile it himself. But in the end, it was God that was allowing Daniel to be where he was, what he was doing, because God was in control. See, compromise and faith is very much hand in hand. If you believe 100%, you won't compromise. If you believe God is good, you won't compromise. If you believe God is kind, you won't compromise. If you believe your whole life is embedded in the hand of God, you won't compromise. It's when you lose faith and believe in the power and control of God, you start to compromise. You start to do things. You try to mold it and fix it. You know what's a really good definition of compromise that I heard? It's when you try to fit the question into the answer. You try to work with the question to fit the answer that you, that, that, that you want. You don't want to take it as it is because it's not working for you. It's uncomfortable for you. So most of us in this room, we try to make our way through this world thinking this is how it's done at a cost. But Jesus says, no, this is how it's done. Trust me. Trust me. I know it's uncomfortable. Like, I know it's hard, but just trust me. And because it's hard to trust and to let go, we find little compromises. But look at the beauty of a man who puts their trust in God. Verse 10, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. Now listen, Daniel, no, you can't do this, Daniel. Daniel, if you don't look healthy and good and nourished, it's going to be my head, mate. You've got to eat this. I'm telling you now, you're going to kill me. 
It's a bit of a, a hard decision. Daniel doesn't want that on his head. Please, Daniel, eat, mate, eat. And sometimes the temptations are, are, no, are, are noble, you know. That sometimes your heart is poured out for your family who says to you, you believe in God, don't follow God. If you follow God, that's it, forget it. I'm not going to be part of your life. And you don't want that because you love your family, but you know, man, God is everything to me. What am I going to do? And so Daniel, he, he wants to please God and he wants to have peace. And so he says, verse 11, so Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Verse 12, listen to this man of faith, listen. Please, test your servants for 10 days. Give me 10 days and let me have just vegetables to eat and water to drink. I don't want the things that everybody else wants, those pleasures. I just want, give me my vegetables. Just give me that and give me water, please. Then let our appearance be examined, in verse 13, before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit. So deal with your servants. And verse 14, so he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Awesome, awesome experience. He's saying to the, he's saying to the, to the chief, listen, please, just give me, give me vegetables and water. And I guarantee you, listen, I guarantee you that at the end of the 10 days, give me 10 days, and when you stand us before all the other people who had all the king's delicacies, that we will look just as good. That we will look just as healthy. This is faith. Because he knew he's God. He knew that he can't go wrong if he follows God. It doesn't matter if everyone's against him. It doesn't matter if it looks like everything's against him. If I follow God, I've got to outshine everyone else. If he is the life source of life, if he is the one who made me and knows me and promises me wealth and health, if he is, then surely I should be able to rise above everyone else who doesn't know him. Is that right? He's the life giver. This is his faith. This is what he says. And in verse 17, And as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. These are, these are amazing qualities. This is not just ordinary people. These were people gifted by God. Just like you all are gifted by God. But are your gifts to His glory? Like, do you live your life in such a way that it's uncompromised? Or do you do it because you think, this is how I've got to get through life? So we see in verse 20, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them, listen, at the end, and I, I want you to see this, this is very beautiful. At the end, when he lined them all up, he saw that they were above everyone else, and all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, and he found them, listen, ten times better than all the magicians and all the astrologers who were in this realm, in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So in the end, when he brought them after those ten days, they lined them up, and there they were, the four chubby guys, you know, <laughs> The, the four glowing, there they are, amidst all the others who had the delicacy of the king. 
But what's beautiful is this. It was 10 days test, 10 days. A 10 days trial, 10 days. And we read... Let me just show you one beautiful line. I've got to find it. Hey, verse 16. And at the end of the 10 days, their features, verse 15, and at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Verse 16. Thus, this is, I thought, wow. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This is like, like 10 days of consistent temptation. 10 days of their delicacies and their wines. 10 days. It's like, it's like a strong man, you know, he'll flick a temptation one day and he's free. But a stronger man will have temptation for 10 days and still be free. Because it was after the test and the trial, they came and did what? Took them away. So they were there watching, looking at the food. Ten days, the temptations were there. The devil was on their back. He wouldn't let them go. And most Christians think that it's just a one-off thing, man. Okay, I've demonstrated my strength. But ten days, man, it's like, have you been on a diet before? Have you tried to go on a diet? And when you're having a diet, you're walking past the takeaway. and You, you smell it coming through. They do it on purpose. KFC does it on purpose. You, know? you smell it. And you think, I'm gonna, oh man, just one chip. Give me one chip. You probably don't want chips. But have you been on a diet for 10, like whatever? And that temptation is there before your eyes. The delicacies of the king. And you're drinking water and you're having vegetables for 10 days. But this is what's beautiful. Listen. 10 days. And they were what? 10 times healthier. Listen, what does that mean? It means every day, over 10 days testing, they grew what? Stronger. They grew healthier. There was no compromise. You see? 10 days of test and 10 days healthier. Every day, the path of the just shines brighter and brighter and brighter unto that perfect day where the temptation becomes nothing. It just passes away from you because you've learned, you've learned how to be strong. That's why you can't compromise as Christians. You can't like let go and think, I'll do it. I'll, I'll have a bit of a, a bite. I'll have a bit of a drink. It'll be okay because you compromise that one day. That one day, you understand? Where that one day you could have just, man, stepped another step to the glory of God. No compromise. This is the chapter that we read in Daniel. This is the quality and the character of the four men that we read that initiate us into the rest of the book. The tests and the trials that they go through is the picture of the one that is fully sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. At all cost, no compromise. I trust that you basically understand this. Go home, read it for yourself, read chapter 1 on your own. As we go through this together, I pray the Lord may enlighten your eyes, give you understanding, but more importantly, embed in you a faith, a faith that is resolutely, uncompromisingly set on the Lord Jesus Christ for your well-being. You understand? For your well-being. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
You compromise, you shortchange yourself. Very simple. You compromise, you take steps back. But if you push through in faith, resolutely, you push through in faith because you know God's truth, then you will reap the benefit of health, spiritual well-being, spiritual well-being. If any of you have compromised, listen, you don't need to. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and He cleanses and He forgives and He, he changes. But what's important is to, to, today, this morning, that when God's speaking to you, you can come before Him and say, yes, Lord, that's it, I'm done. I'm tired of defiling myself by the ways of the world and its wickedness. I'm tired of it. This morning, I am set on you. And if you mean that with your mouth and you believe that in your heart, the Lord receives that. He receives that and He blesses you and He strengthens you and He leads you on that path of righteousness. Let me just pray for you. Father in heaven, I pray that your word, Lord God, becomes the very thing on our minds throughout the day and throughout the week. Especially, Lord God, when there's the temptations or the tests to take a step back, to compromise your truth in our life, in obedience, in surrender, whatever temptation that may be, to lie, to cheat, to steal, whatever it is, Lord, in order to enable our lives to be a little bit better, forgive us, but teach us to trust you. In trusting you, we are found healthy. I pray this for everyone in this room, Lord. Bless them strengthen them, draw them deeper and deeper into you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.